there's a lot of things that can happen with all the things we have. So the question is, who are you? And the, the really cool way to come back to that is to think about somebody in your life that's had this really big impact on you and, and who they are to you. And if you define that, you're going to define it as inspirational or, or full of joy or peaceful or something along those lines. And as soon as you do that, you've understood what is being. What, what does that mean? Because you just defined it in somebody else. And that's kind of what we do with other people. But then we forget to do that with ourselves. And if we just start with who I am is joy or peace or inspiration, and then we go, okay, well, what does that take? Like, what do I got to do now? And we just look at the next five seconds. Then we can work on changing our mind to be aligned with that. We can work on changing our actions to be aligned with that. And we have this solid base. And that solid base can be used anywhere, no matter the, search, the situation or the circumstance. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows enough about yet. It is so well hidden by this negative noise in our digital lives that I'm calling this wave a conspiracy of goodness. And on this podcast, and over at the mothership of this podcast, the Goodness Exchange website, you're going to know why I feel like it's this quiet, building wave of insight and innovation that's going to start opening a new era and make us all feel like one's opening very soon. It already is opening a new era. Today, we're going to speak with a thought leader who's part of this this growing insight that we can each have about finding what we're uniquely built to contribute right where we are. We don't have to be a part necessarily of the mass resignation to go find lives of meaning and purpose. We can find it right where we are, pride in place, in our families. It is still an amazing world. And on this podcast, we're going to introduce you to people who are making it that way. So I hope you get some insights for your own life today that will help you in your families and in your working life. And we'll all just help raise the tide up, raise all the boats in the harbor up. So welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, Christopher and Kona. Christopher is a engineer, educator, author, and tech entrepreneur. He's managed countless industrial projects all around the world. But at the same time, been a teacher. He's taught at the University of Iowa in places as far flung as the London School of Business. And my, my view of what he's teaching is that he's helping others see limitations that they're putting on themselves. <laughs> I'm going to get a chance to help have Christopher set me straight if I'm wrong about that. But I spent about an hour talking to Christopher about his concepts to make sure we talked about the very most important today. And that was the overall message I got, that he's done some amazing work that includes a lot of science and, gosh knows, his experience is breathtaking, that can help us help ourselves, that can reveal what we're best at, take off a lot of, of the things that we're taking on unnecessarily from the outside world. Christopher has a book called The Alignment Quotient, and it will greatly improve the way you think about finding purpose and meaning in your life. I know just from talking to him, I have been using, I spoke with him three days ago, and I've been using his concepts ever since to great improvement in my relationships and building new ones too. So here's the thing. 
most of the time on the Conspiracy of Business podcast, you know that we talk to people who are doing amazing things in the world, that who have found what they're uniquely built to contribute. And what I notice in all of them is this concept in the alignment quotient of understanding the things we commit to that may or may not be helpful. Now, we just got to get into this right soon so that we can help free ourselves from some of the things that are tying us down. And this conversation is going to be important to college graduates, mid-career people, midlife crisis folks, and retirees alike. The quest to discover what makes us come alive and then use it in our working life is something that we can all embrace right now in these times where we're trying to move on, move up, move along in ways that make us feel like we're living lives well-lived. So we're going to talk about the book and the previous book as well, but welcome, Christopher Ancona. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for bringing this concept into the world. I, and we're going to get to a little bit about your background and why that, that is so important. But let's just start right off with talking about the gift that this conversation could give people. One of the things that you said to me last week that I thought was so, so important is that emotions are fickle, but we're telling people to follow them in order to find a more perfect life. Yeah. In fact, that's one of the things that kind of disturbs me a bit about people who want to teach meaning and purpose. They tell you to follow your emotions. And I've always thought that's kind of weird. It's like, I'm lost someplace, so I'm going to follow a feather that's being tossed around by a tornado as my way to find myself. And I just think that's maybe the, the best way to go, not the best route forward. There's other ways that I think are better. And the science and the psychology tells us that's probably the case. This is something I was going to add if you didn't say it. This following our emotions is like following a feather in a tornado. It's so true. I mean, when I'm trying to help my kids manage the setbacks in life, as we all have, I got kids that are all in their 20s. I'm always saying, pause. No feeling lasts forever. Don't go make any big decisions when you're in this state of mind. No feeling lasts forever. And I think part of this, part of what's happened after the pandemic and this thing that we've all heard of where everybody's quitting their job to go find meaning and purpose. Are we doing just that? Are we in these low moments and then following those impulses right over a cliff? Well, maybe and maybe not. It's, it's hard to say without knowing the person. A lot of people do end up chasing ideas that maybe they got from their parents, should be this way, should be that way, or their society, they want to be popular in their social group. And so they've done certain things. But you know, for other people, maybe they finally decided to let go and chase after what they've always had in their heart and their mind and they want to put into the world. So the difference is having some clarity about the difference. Yes, of course. Yeah. And that's what you've, you've got to, that helps us really get some clarity. I have to tell you, we're going to go at this conversation a little bit different order than I had planned because we're right here and we might as well just, just dive into the gist of what you're proposing we do with our thoughts about ourselves. And then we'll come back to some of these other wonders that you built up as our conversation passed last week. So from my perspective, what I heard you saying was that there's all these things that we declare about ourselves and about the world out there. And then we make decisions, like important decisions based on these declarations. And that many of them just aren't real. They aren't true. So talk to us about the big, big picture on your concept on the alignment quotient. So I think there's a cool place to start, which is to start with the idea that we are human beings. 
But a lot of times we act like human doings and we do a lot of the things that we do because of what we want to have. So have ends up leading the way to define who we are. So I want to have a big house. I want to have a fancy car. I want to have a certain position. So I do certain things and then we allow that to define who we are. And that's why a lot of people don't feel so so happy about the things. And I, I don't like the word happy, but maybe satisfied is the right word. Or they just feel like they're wasting their life or something happens and the have isn't possible anymore. You can see people who wanted to be a basketball player and they injured themselves. And now they're, they can't be that basketball player anymore. And for them, they've lost who they are. They didn't just lose what they had. And that can cause all kinds of problems because then feelings come in and emotions come in and then just throw us all off kilter. But if we define who we are and we start with that first, and then we do whatever comes from that, then we'll have a result. And then we just, we're excited with the result that we have. And that result won't always be like we want, but that's life. But we can always stick with who we are, no matter the situation or circumstances. And that's really the foundation of the alignment quotient is to start with who you are and to remember we're human beings, not human doings or human habits. That is, that's a lovely way to think about it. Give us a concrete example. For instance, you said who we are. There, it, you call those a certain kind of word. Yeah. So being, being. Right. Word. So I love the word being just because we're human beings. Yeah. And like, what is that? What does it mean to be a being? And it has to, like, it has to be something abstract, right? It, it can't. I can't be my hand, right? I can't be my leg. I, I can't be my my hair or my dress. Right. Like I can't be those things because I can take off my clothes and change to something else. I mean, my hand, I could lose my hand. Right. I could, my hand could become not useful. There's a lot of things that can happen with all the things we have. So the question is, who are you? And the really cool way to come back to that is to think about somebody in your life that's had this really big impact on you and who they are to you. And if you define that, you're going to define it as, inspirational or full of joy or peaceful or something along those lines. And as soon as you do that, you've understood what is being. What what does that mean? Because you just defined it in somebody else. And that's kind of what we do with other people. But then we forget to do that with ourselves. And if we just start with who I am as joy or peace or inspiration, and then we go, okay, well, what does that take? Like, what do I got to do now? And we just look at the next five seconds. And then we can work on changing our mind to be aligned with that. We can work on changing our actions to be aligned with that. And we have this solid base. And that solid base can be used anywhere, no matter the situation or the circumstance. Okay, so let's give some real-life examples of that. I'm thinking, you know, my son, I have a son that just graduated from college. He played college basketball. And, of course, when we went into all that, we had all these notions about what would, how that would turn out. All the things about having all the things about doing, right? And didn't turn out like that. So in that circumstance, and in the end, we had to paint a better face on how it all went. The basketball part, the college part, thank God, went, but the basketball part didn't go at all how we thought. And we were able to say, look, you are this kind of a person and you are that kind of a person. You just got better in all those ways because of the adversity, because of how it turned out. And we were really quite happy, but if we get stuck to our minds and finding success in his basketball life as meeting these certain goals that we had set out for ourselves, ooh, it could have been ugly. Is that a good example of what you're talking about? 
Yeah, I mean, it can be. You know, I have a friend just kind of relating to a situation that I dealt with with one of my friends. He wanted to be a, he loves cars, most fixing cars. And he'd done that for the first part of his career. And he'd actually gone to the step of having a family and having children. And then that career had been what was paying the bills and giving him the house and the lifestyle that they wanted. He was a great mechanic. And then he got, he hurt his back really bad. And the doctor told him, you can't lift tires anymore. Forget about dropping engines out of cars, all of that type of stuff. And his career was over. Everything that, every way that he'd earned money, every way he'd built his life, it was done. And he didn't lose his job. He lost who he was because he attached it to that, to who he was. He attached the job to the, to who he was. And it, it sounds like that's maybe what happened a bit with your son. Yeah. If he started attaching who I am is a basketball player and that's how he defined myself. But then, yeah, once it's gone, you can lose yourself. And it's until you can find something deeper than that, that you can always relate to, that you can always build from that you can be lost for a long time and you can just regret it for your whole life. And you can spend your whole life just saying, oh my gosh, I could have been this. I could have been that. My life could have been this way. And I could have had this type of thing. And now I don't. Oh my gosh. And we can go into depressive cycles and anxious cycles. And there's a lot of really bad stuff that can happen from that and does happen. And does. Absolutely. We can get to regret later on this conversation. <laughs> but the point is, is that who's ever listening to this interview is listening to it now. And you can have what happened to me. So I spoke with you just three or four days ago, and we had a nice conversation on how to organize this conversation. And I really thought about what you left me with, this notion of being. And I thought, I mentioned to you that I was a dentist for 30 years, 33 and that's how I came to do this podcast and run the goodness exchanges. I started to see people's people's hope and optimism diminishing because of the burden of the negative news in about 2013. And I just kept saying, somebody's got to do something about this. Somebody's got to do something about this because I'm pretty well wet red. And I knew that it was still an amazing world out there. But if we trusted the news or social media to reveal that to us, we were going to be knuckles dragging pretty much all the time. So I have this life as a dentist and then I have this life. And I have to share this little thing with you because I'm not sure I did the other day. So I broke my arm so badly in 2021 that I lost the feeling in my left hand. And so I couldn't be a dentist anymore. Talk about losing your identity. And I was a good dentist. I was fixing teeth with computers in 2003 and doing cosmetic dentistry, those one-day makeovers and all that. And I think that I didn't realize how much my identity was tied into that. But here's the thing. I was running the goodness exchange when that part of my life went away. That having and doing part went away. And you made me think about three words that I am. And I and it turns out that I was always that through those years of being a dentist too. And that's where I'm now. And my three words are, I am hope, I am dignity, and I am agency. Really, and all through my dental years, I always found something to celebrate with every patient, no matter how glum their life was. So I was always hope for people. And then um, I always wanted to protect people's dignity if they came in feeling badly about themselves. And lastly, I always said, now, you know, you can do this, you can do that. I always wanted to leave people with a next, help them with a sense of agency after they left. And, you know, people come to us, my husband's also a dentist, on the day that their spouse dies. And I think that our conversation that you and I had two or three days ago, I always thought that was very strange. I think it revealed that because without knowing it, I had committed myself to being hope, 
hope, dignity, and what to do next in agency in people's lives. And that's what I do at the Goodness Exchange and with the Conspiracy Goodness podcast. So I'm sorry to go on a tangent about me there, but I thought it was such a clear example of what you just said about how easy it is to lose your identity if you're all about what you have or what you do. But if you've got a through line about who you are, you can apply that in any way that is the world's working out for you, right? That's right. And it's amazing because some people find those like you just did and they go, oh my gosh, like I've always been like this. And that's great if you can do it, but there's a lot of people who can't do that. And one of the things that we've always done since we're born is we make declarations. That's just what we do. Humans declare stuff. And you made that declaration a long time ago and didn't realize it. And now you've discovered it. And that's one way. But for other people, they can simply declare. You don't have to find something in your history. You can just start and go. And I actually, I have a friend who is, let's call it a criminal, living a criminal life. Even if he was very religious, he was living a criminal life to the point that one day somebody asked him if he'd kill someone and he'd actually gone and planned it. And then after he'd gone and planned it, he'd realized I'm not this type of person. And he had to redeclare who he was. And he'd actually started after that, he actually went to the police and he turned the person in and he'd explained everything and he'd gone through everything as a way to start the process of making a new declaration of who he was. And he'd realized that whoever he was being before was even allowed somebody to come to him and ask him to kill somebody. And he's like, oh my gosh, it was so clear who I was. Somebody was willing to do that because you don't just go ask that to anybody. So who he was being was letting other people know certain things about him. And so he went ahead and he started changing that. And he just changed it with his own declaration. Like he decided who he was going to be was peace, joy, and love. That's who he decided he was going to be. And what he'd found, I mean, he, he, he actually, he died not so long ago. And he said the first 28 years of his life, he'd lived that other way. And he was hoping, he was very sick, he was hoping to live another 28 years so he could say he lived half of his life as the person he wanted to be. And he'd really spent all that time going, okay, how do I do this? What do I have to do to be peace, joy, and love in my life? And every day, every moment, he would work on this and work on this and work on this so he could be what he declared, having no idea how to be this. So you don't just have to find it because you found this common thread. You can just declare it and then start going forward with that commitment, right? Stick to your declarations, which is what I call integrity. You declare it, and then are you in, do you have integrity with your declaration? Yes or no? So it doesn't take a, a finding, can also just start and go. Now you have this great little acronym that you used, the word spicy. I don't know if that's going to help people remember it, but I should say right now, one thing that's happening, if people see me with my pen looking down, I am taking really careful notes. And so we will have really great show notes. So if you're Looking for this next bit with the acronym I'm going to share, you could find it easily in the show notes. Also, the thing that we refer to, we you'll find in the show notes too, because there might be books that Chris turns us on to and so forth. Okay, so tell us about how we develop our I am, our being statement, our declaration. Yes, so there's two parts to your declaration. So your declaration of being, which is which it all comes from inside you, right? When you declare who you are, and you start living into that, nothing can change it unless you let them, right? So if who I say I am is peace, for example, I can certainly let that person who cut me off in a car thing in my car, I can certainly allow that person to take away my declaration of peace and then be angry, right? I can certainly let all the things go into my head, man, that guy, whatever. Or 
I can laugh and shake my head and then stay in alignment with peace. So that's the first part of your declaration. There's the I am whatever you are, and then staying in alignment with that. That's the first declaration. And that's a really useful part to begin with because you fully control it, right? You get to say, nobody else gets to say. So that's a great place to start. Once you got that and you're feeling really comfortable with that, the question is, so what? And then it's, what do I want to put into the world with this? And that's your so that. Like I am peace or joy or inspiration. Okay, you practice that. Now, so that what? So that what can happen? What am I going to put into the world? And that can be anything. And I use SPICY as an acronym for that. But before I get into the SPICY part, one of the important things about that is a lot of times people can get lost and why am I doing, why would I do this anyways? Especially when there's in those depressed states or those sad states. Like, well, it doesn't matter. Like nothing matters to me and nothing matters to anybody. The world's going to be gone in a billion years. Nothing, right? You see the Carl Sagan's, that small blue dot, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, nothing really matters. And the so that it really is, and if you follow, and you follow the acronym as well, which I'll say in a minute, it's really like when you're a kid and you decide to build a sandcastle on the beach when the tide's out and you know, the tide's going to come in and wash it away, but you still build the sandcastle, right? And you still enjoy building the sandcastle and you might even enjoy watching it get washed away. And you built the sandcastle because one, it was, you wanted to build it. And two, because you wanted it to be in the world. Like you were going to have your own experience of building it and you wanted to see it exist. And that's usually this wonderful underlying thought process to have. There's no expectations of the outcome, except I'm going to have fun doing it. And I'm going to be glad I put it into the world. Right. And then the question is, well, the acronym really helps you, helps guide you to what that thing is so that you're most likely to have wanted to put in the world and have whatever enjoyment you wanted through the process of putting it there. So SPICY stands for so stable. So it's probably something that you've been And it doesn't have to be superficial, stable, like something that you're like, "Mm, I've been kind of in this general direction for a long time. It has to be personally meaningful, right? To you, inspirational and inspiration isn't something that's just for others. Like you would love it to be inspirational to others, but it also has to inspire you community oriented. So it's always got to be around about other people in some way, shape or form, because humans are social beings. And Dr. Matthew Lieberman, who's this fantastic neuroscientist, I'd recommend reading his book. He actually suggests Maslow's hierarchy of needs needs to be rewritten with social at the bottom. Like first you need air. And then even before food, you probably need social because in order to get food, you probably need other people to help you. You can't do it on your own. I think there's this, there's a guy who wrote the book Born to Run. And I think he said that if you were chasing like an antelope in the Serengeti in order to catch it for me, the only thing that would happen is there'd be two dead animals, the, the thing and you, right? So we needed a group in order to catch the food that we needed to eat. So Matthew suggests we rewrite it to social being an underlying thing for us. And so that's why the community-oriented part is really, really important. And even people who are introverts, an introverted person, what we found is they still need social. They just don't want a lot of people, right? The social for them can be like one or two people. That is, they're part of their community. And maybe it's one or two people, not every day. 
So that's that's all possible, right? But then it doesn't matter. It's there and there's a community aspect to it. And the last part is is you. And this is where I let the feelings come in and the emotions. Like, because there's a lot of things that could fit the other things, but then there's the one that you really are connected to. And so that's kind of like how I would say, you use it as a filter. Say, okay, this is my so that. So mine, my whole statement, where I am so that, is who I am, is passion, inspiration, and excellence, so that I can help myself and others go beyond our barriers and live lives we love. And so for me, that's what checks all the boxes. And then passion, inspiration, excellence is this constant thing I'm always working on getting better at, right? Getting better, not being something that like is some goal, but just always observing myself. And, you know, I got all the same stuff everybody else has go on in their head, go on in mine. And so always just recognizing that and going forward and having this way to align myself. And for people who are doing a meditation where the idea is, you know, you see the thoughts and you push them out of your mind, that's all great. But when you're actually going through life, the question is, can you push them out of your mind? Like, does that even make sense? And if you push them out, what is there? What do you put there? And people say, yeah, you know, empty mind. That's fine. Go for it. But do you really want to go through life your whole time with an empty mind? Probably not. And I don't think Buddhists would say that either. So the question is, what are you going to put there? And so if you put peace or love or passion or inspiration there, the question is in what's in your mind going on right now. Is it aligned with that to what I declared? Or is it aligned with something else? So what I hear you saying is that we choose what makes us feel like we're most in alignment with our gifts. You can define it. What just our best human impulses, our human nature. Like maybe, how do we know that? Is it things that when we're trying to reflect who I am, is it like, like you said, maybe it's things that, that people have said, oh, you're always such a positive ray of hope in my life, or you're always so, you're such a good critical thinker. You always help me. A lot of people have have trouble thinking about themselves. Really good people I found are super humble. And it's really, really hard to see your own character assets. Or is it more something that you're, that you have probably already bring to the world? I know you told us a story about the person living a criminal life, but really good people who are not that, that far, (laughs) who don't have that far to go as the guy you described. How do we know what those things are? Or is it something that we just declare period, period, never mind our past. And it might be in alignment with our past. Where does that declaration, I am peace, and it sounds like it could be a little bit spooky, but you're really talking about like, I am going to be peaceful despite who cuts me off or despite what the person at work is making me crazy doing. Tell me, talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, so in the book, I have, I have two methods that you can go through and there's people who need a little bit more certainty and I walk them through a series of questions and that kind of helps them figure out, you know, like, who am I? And I have them look at things like in my community or in my activities or things like that. But I have a second one, which I actually like more, where in the book, I have the words and I just have you cut them out, put it, fold them up, put them in a hat, and then just pull them out randomly. And then from that random put out, open it up and you go, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm This is who I'm going to be for the next 30 days. And then test it, understand the process, discover, because really that first part is really about understanding yourself. When I declare who I am as peace, the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to find all the places I'm not peace. Like that's the very first part. And as soon as you do that, you go, oh, okay. So it's about this recognition. It's like 
I don't know who I am really. And so I put a wall up that I declared. And then I kind of hit myself up against the wall to to find it. Because we're kind of like, I mean, our brain is kind of inside this thing. It's like, there's no light in there. Like all these concepts of light we have, they come in through our eyes. It's not real. It's electrical signals. So we got this thing inside that's sitting in the dark, making all these decisions on its own based on a couple things. And as soon as that brain makes this declaration, now it's discovering all these things about itself. If you make the declaration of who I am is joy, and then you find out, oh my gosh, like <laughs> all I'm doing is being upset all the time. Everything makes me angry. Everything that somebody, my partner says just irritates me. It's like, oh, that's what not joy is. So I actually recommend the part I find the most fun and I recommend it to people if they're willing, is just randomly pick one and then just start. Discover yourself. And there, if there's no obligation, it's your declaration. So you can change it. I just recommend that you do it for a month or for a couple of weeks at least. So you get that sense of what it takes and what it's like and you experience the process. And then explore, right? When I first started mine, I declared passion, inspiration, and excellence because I literally ran out of time to make the declaration for when I said, and I just like, and it took me like, I, it was 10 years before I changed it a bit. And then I added curiosity because it was so telling. I learned so much about myself and I grew into it. It was like, wow. And it, any one of the beings can encompass everything. So as soon as you say peace, when you go ahead and you say, okay, who I am is peace, you end up finding that that's going to encompass love. That's going to encompass joy. That's going to encompass inspiration. It's going to encompass all these things. And that's also why in the book, I've defined the words in very specific ways because they all interlink. So as soon as you start and you start going forward, you find out, wow, there's so much that grows from this. So I tell you, it was very abstract to me still when we finished our conversation last week. And your answer to us, I was spot on today. So thank you for this level of clarity but, but I tested it over the, so I went to, went on this little this tiny weekend vacation with some friends who are super read, well-read. They we read three newspapers every morning of their life. And they're just constantly talking about the latest. They're in three book clubs and, whew. <laughs> and so super and good, nice, thoughtful people. And, but they're very concerned about the world because they absorb so much news that it's easy for them to be, uh, to be concerned. <laughs> And because I thought I learned, I thought about this and our, after our conversation, I decided I was going to be hope, dignity, and agency through this. And I was, I really thought that's who I was and I was going to try and be that. And so it, it did. It made me a better person in all these conversations where we got off on things about the pandemic and things about the economy and things about global strife and all these, because they're, these folks are so smart. It was one conversation after another could have taken the downward spiral over and over and over again, because there is a lot of gloom in the world. But I tried to be that person without being annoying. <laughs> that can happen too, right? You can be so peaceful that you're always the one that throws in the, you know, yoga moment on folks that aren't ready for it. But that helped me. So I'm contrasting this with how I just interacted with my husband just had a half hour ago. So he's getting ready to go off to work. We both are dentists, or I was a dentist. Now he's running this giant practice by himself. Do you think I did hope dignity and agency on him? Nope. Nope. I was not my best person for him just a half hour ago. And now you're reminding me that in those moments, maybe it's going to be with the people who are closest to us that we've got opportunity after opportunity to sharpen these saws 
talk to me about how we can be one way, one moment, one way for somebody else, a completely different person. Well, you got a couple things there. One thing is to note that you're never going to always be in alignment, right? Like, good luck. The important thing is to catch yourself. And other thing is, don't make yourself wrong. Because this is, that's really important. So you're like, yeah, I wasn't my best self with my husband. Now, if the first thing you do is go, I'm such a bad person. Well, guess what you're not being? Your declaration. As soon as you start beating yourself up, you're not your declaration. So your first act when you make yourself wrong for what you just did is take yourself away from your declaration. And there's no declaration that's in the book that I've that I've defined that allows what you're going to do when you make yourself wrong to be in alignment with it. So if that's your first action, you're now out of alignment. So, and this is the hard part for people. The question is, and I'm always saying future first, what's the next five seconds? In the next five seconds, when you catch it, you can catch yourself mid-sentence. And I've done it with my girlfriend. Catch myself mid-sentence and go, okay, I'm not being that. And that what's the next second sentence that's bringing myself back in alignment? And what's the next interaction that I can work on to bring myself back in alignment? And when you think about particularly partners, it's easy to escalate. It's easy to hold on and to ruminate and go, you know what? That We had this argument this morning and I just can't believe. And when I get back, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And, and then you're in the conversation and then you're, it's holding on. It's right back in the back of your head. And they do something and that just comes right back to the front and comes right out your mouth. And you start the whole thing over again. And it's none of that is in alignment. None of it. But that's what we do. So if we catch ourselves, the question is, in the next five seconds, what can I do to bring myself back into alignment? It's just looking there. There's no reason to beat yourself up. The past is done. And you can say, well, I beat myself up so that I can change in the future. Well, good. Next five seconds is your future, right? So there's no... You can beat yourself up if you want to. That's it's your life. You're free to do it. There's just no requirement. And there's nothing that you can say to me that's going to make me agree with you that beating yourself up in the next five seconds is going to help the five seconds after that be back in alignment. Whereas you can skip that whole sense, that whole beating yourself up in just the next five seconds. What am I going to do to get back into alignment and focus on that? And if you do that over and over and over, you're going to get better and better and better at, at staying true to your declaration or having integrity with your declaration. This is what I experienced when I was really working on it this weekend with these wonderful folks that we were visiting. I wasn't good at it at all on Friday night. Then Saturday, I was a little better. <laughs> Sunday, I was a little bit quicker. Okay, so there's hope there. If anybody wants to, to start this journey, I got to tell you, it, it, it was really magical. And just now I'm realizing that I'm going to I'm going to be better with my, my my nearest and dearest. I imagine this would make you a heck of a better parent, <laughs> having this insight that, oh gosh, how we parents follow, follow our emotions over a cliff in the moment. Yeah, that's always, it's easy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, can... I'm thinking about leadership, how this applies to leadership. I noticed that in your bio, I, did, I didn't share it, but that you're part of something called neuroleadership. Yeah, so I was the manager of the Neuroleadership Labs, which is a consortium of 42 American universities that came together to look at what we're not doing right in leadership and find ways to change it, right? Because leaders go through all kinds of programs and a lot of them don't change. So why are we spending the money? And so they were looking at what could we do differently. Yeah, well, I think we've always, most of us have observed that we're leaders all the time in our life. Whether it's whether we are the leader in our work group or just in the moment, somebody needs to have some leadership. 
or, you know, in our family around the dinner table once in a while, somebody needs to show some leadership. Okay, so let's take one one part of this equation that I just adored that you talked about. And after we explore that a bit, we'll take a break and then we'll dive deep into some of these wonderful tips that you've got. You told me a fantastic story about a friend of yours who you said he was who he was despite his circumstances. And you talked about something called Patrick's rule. But let's finish the first half of our discussion with this wonderful notion. It's a great rule. So my friend Patrick, he actually recently passed away. And he was my debating partner, bought all the alignment quotient stuff since, I don't know, 2002, something like that, more than 20 years. And about 15 years ago, he got really sick. And he was in his you know early to mid 40s and he started having heart problems. And Patrick loved life. He's just that type. He's a great person in that sense. And his heart problems meant he started out with you know, having to have a quintuple. They went in for four bypasses and they had five. I forget if that's quintuple. Then his heart, his artery started clogging up. So he had to have multiple surgeries. His wife left him, like his dog died. I mean, like all this stuff happened. And it was like, it's really like a country music song. It's like the worst country music song you could ever have, right? And he's like, okay, this is what it is. And I want to tell you he got better, but he never did. Over the next 15 years, it got worse and worse and worse. And he went from let's say, you know, being able to ride a bike 20 miles to being happy he could make it to the bathroom and get back. And then he'd have to sleep for four hours because of that. I mean, it was really downhill the whole time. And he'd always stayed true to who he was, always. And he would say, and that's what Patrick's rule, Patrick's rule is staying true to who you are or having integrity with who you are despite your situation and circumstances and being with what's so. So there is what's so, and it's just being with that. So he would. He told me a story about his situation. He said, look, he said, people expect me to be sad with my life. But he said, "I'm. this is a life. And when I was a kid, I was like, look, mom, I can ride my bike. Look, mom, I'm doing good in math. Look, mom, I'm able to like kick a ball or catch a ball. It's like everything was about getting better or getting more skill set. And now he's like, now it's the other part of life. So it's, look, I can't drive anymore. Look, I can't walk to the car anymore. It's it's going down. And he said, look, this is as much a part of life as any other part of life. And I can suffer it, but why? And he's like, this is what is so in my life. There's the things I can change and there's the things I can't change. And being with what's so, it's taking that burden, that that burden that I'm creating off of me so I can be who I am. And it was always very telling with Patrick because we talk like all the time and I'd call him up and I'd be like, yeah, Patrick, I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that because I'm running a number of different businesses and things. And, and he'd like, it, I'd finish and he'd be like, man, I don't want your life. <laughs> I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm happy with my life. I don't want your problems. And it always made me laugh. And he was, he was just that type of person as well. And so Patrick's rule is there about that is be with what's so. You are where you are. You have what you have. There's certain things you can change. Go for it. There's certain things you can't change. Okay. So that's your life story. That's part of what makes you a unique human being in this world. So embrace it. Okay. Let's pause there. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about this, this sort of notion of improving the way we think about our circumstances in a really, really freeing way. Okay. We'll take a break. Hi, Dr. Linda here. 
First, thanks for joining us today. If you're inspired by the uplifting conversation we're having, I can boost that feeling with something new that we just created for the Goodness Exchange community. Our holiday gift guide just came out. As you might guess, we're trying to do as much good as we can with this effort to shine a light on the number of businesses that are making the world a better place. We've chosen 20 companies that give back to causes that we all care about, like people, animals, and the environment. There's something for everyone at every price point and some exclusive deals inside this gift guide. It's super. And if you're like me, the stress of finding quality of gifts kind of take the joy out of the holiday. So this gift guide answers a lot of problems. And then there's this fact that most people I'm shopping for are very values-based consumers now. They don't want a lot more stuff in their lives that comes from companies that don't care. So this gift guide will make you proud of the gifts you give and will keep on giving long after the new year. This curated guide, you'll find companies who share a passion for leaving goodness and progress in their wake. Do some shopping through the gift guide and it'll feel like you've got a superpower going for making a difference. And then subscribe to the Goodness Exchange. As always, subscribe to the Goodness Exchange. We need to support media that matters, media that's sustainable in in the way it makes us all feel. People who use the Goodness Exchange every day have a spring in their ship. They radiate joy and confidence because they know a more complete picture of the world. You can do more and be more in the lives of your kids, your coworkers, your family, and the people around you if you're filled with stories of goodness, remarkable, ingenious solutions, and progress that's happening out there. Get instant access to what's right with the world every day to change your future. Head to the Goodness Exchange and join us for a 14-day trial on us. See if it doesn't put us free in your step to know what's right with the world. Thanks. Okay, so we're back. We're here talking today with an amazing fellow who is improving the way we all can find meaning and purpose and lives that we love living. (laughs) What could be better, right? So Christopher is an engineer and educator and author and a tech entrepreneur. He's had such a life. That's a whole, I mean, whoa. That's a whole different story. I asked Christopher in our first chat how he wound up to come to this place in time. He's talking to me from France. And that is quite a story of serendipity and could it turn right, turn left for another conversation. I think that would inform people's own sense of their journey as well. But we're going to start right here. Christopher, with this notion of the alignment quotient. And first of all, just talk to me about the image, the drawing that's on oh, the yeah. cover of the book. Yeah. So, so on the book, one of the things, and so I, I argued a lot with the editors and people because they're like, why would you do that on the book? So the front cover of the book, the important, I don't know if you can see it, but it's a marionette that's being controlled up above by something. And the marionette's cutting their own string. Pull it closer to your camera just a bit, because it is a wonderful drawing. I'm an artist, and I immediately got what's going on there in two shakes. Yeah. Great. So it just resonates a lot with the idea, because, and you know, I don't know if, if you want to talk about this right now, but there's a, a great book. It's The Top Five Regrets of the Dying by, by Brawny Ware. And she goes through, she was a, like a hospice nurse taking care of, of a lot of patients. And the number one regret was, I'm paraphrasing here basically not living the life they wanted because of all the controls by their family, the expectations of society, everything. 
and not being who they wanted to be. And I thought that was so sad. That's the number one regret of the dying. And so the cover of the book is like, okay, let's start cutting some of these strings that are holding us back unnecessarily. Especially these strings that in the end, they're going to make us regret our lives. And as far as what her data shows. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of where the concept of the book cover came from, was that. So I want to just really highlight that point. That's what the data shows. I'm sort of unimpressed lately with the world of people who are influencing so much of our global thought process and the zeitgeist, and they haven't necessarily spent a lot of time in rigorous intention. Like they're just an idea or a concept they came across, which is beautiful enough, that worked for them. But this is what I want to point out to folks about Christopher's work is that there is such a long life of rigorous intention here in science. So what works is a lot more likely to work for us than just the unique idiosyncratic circumstances of an influencer who hasn't lived a a long life of rigorous intention. So I really, really appreciate that about your work. Okay. So one of the very first concepts that drew me into our conversation the other day was that wonderful little story you told about volunteering when you were a kid. You know, one of the things that always, I guess, shocked me a bit was I think there's a lot of your audience who have seen people in really kind of like rough situations and they're still happy and they're still excited and they still love life. And you're like, and you know, it's, well, I had an experience like that anyways. I volunteered for a camp through the University of Michigan in Mott's Children's Hospital. It's called Trails Edge. And it's camp for ventilator-dependent kids. So they could have some disorder that where they need a ventilator in order to just breathe, but they can still move around, all the way to people, kids who can't move from the neck down, that are wheelchair-bound. And it's quite emotional for me to talk about it. The first, so I, I was, I'm an engineer. Normally, you have to be a doctor in order to go there. And it's a way for these kids to go out into nature and experience nature, because most of the time, their lives are going from their home to the doctors and back. And the people who created it wanted these kids to have a chance to be in nature. It's really hard to talk about. They did a wonderful job. And so the kids get to sleep in like a cabin like other kids. And there's like a ton of beds. And But they need a lot of doctors and nurses in order to care for them. Because these, I mean, you go there, the ventilator alarms are going off all the time. It's so, as an engineer, it's so scary. Because you show up and you're like, beep, beep, beep. And you're like, oh my gosh, a kid's dying somewhere. That's just your, my, that was my feeling. Alarm bells going off all the time. And you can imagine the, my threat circuitry going off because 30 kids at camp, 20 kids at camp, and you have alarms going off every five minutes. And these kids are such dependent on their ventilators that if they don't get it fixed, they die. So that's just the situation that you're in. And the first year that I was there, I was like in tears like every day. It was like really tough. Golly, still hard to and then I went back a number of years and I, I was at the camp with kids and I became connected to some of them really, really close. And I sponsored one and I was there with a nurse just in case. And one of the things that caught me totally off guard and I didn't know how to deal with it at first was these kids were like the happiest people I knew. They would tell crazy jokes and just laugh. They were so inspirational. They would have so much fun. They would laugh and play like there was no tomorrow. I mean, it was, they just loved life. And I don't know a lot of people who are 
very well set in their careers and they have two kids in the house that they think is a perfect life and they drive a car that are that happy. I have a lot of friends that are in really high positions in companies and that, and I've never seen them laugh the way these kids do. I've never seen them have fun like these kids do. I've never seen them enjoy life. They're always worried about something and there's some problem and something they need to do and somebody's at it. There's always something that just doesn't seem like they're really enjoying life. And a, and a lot of them have gone through depression and have anxiety problems and all this other stuff. And these kids are could die at any minute and they're loving life. And when you just look at the amazingness of these kids, they're just being with them for that week in the camp. It's just so refreshing and eye-opening and it changes everything for, well, for me as a volunteer, it changed everything, right? But they're, they are who they are despite their situation and their circumstances. And, and that was always amazing to see. And I was always amazed at how they seemed in their situation that none of us probably would want to trade places with. They seemed like they were actually fully enjoying life. Mm. And most of the people I knew weren't. Okay. So being happy despite our circumstances. There, This keeps popping up in some really amazing places. There, I hope that we get to share a bunch of books that we both learned that through. And of course, I learned it every day talking to thought leaders around the world who are solving some of the world's most biggest problems. I mean, there's no end <laughs> to the craziness in their lives. And yet they're happy and joyful despite their circumstances. It doesn't have to be what we lack. It can be what we're striving for that can make us crazy. And it doesn't. And a lot of people that are the most committed to saving endangered species or figuring out how to save the remaining rainforests or all of the things that we've come across at the Goodness Exchange, they seem every, like every day they think about a new possibility and despite their circumstances. So, okay. So let's talk about the difference between happiness and joy, because that seems to be what keeps coming up. We can talk the difference between happiness and happiness even. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's do it. So a lot, when a lot of people think of happiness, it's a have, I want to get happiness and it's an external thing. I'm going to get that car and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to meet my true love and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to get that house and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to get that position. I'm going to be happy. It's an external thing that's given to us. I'm going to win the lottery and then I'll be happy. And then there's the other type of happiness that these kids had. It was created. It came from inside of them. It was, okay, there's a situation, there's circumstances, and then there's, I'm creating happiness in that. So it wasn't dependent upon anything else. It was them that put it out there. And that's kind of the whole, where the concept of being really is. You exude your being. Like it's, you have no choice. You're a human being. You're always, you're always being. There's no chance to stop it until you're dead, right? You're already always being. And the question is, what are you being? Who are you being? And those kids are exuding happiness. And that's, when you talk about the Buddhist monks and the people, they're exuding joy. That's who they are. It's a creation that comes from inside of them. It's not given to them. They're not waiting for somebody to refill them with joy, right? They're creating it. And that's the distinction. And it's probably because of something, knowingly or unknowingly, they've just declared about themselves. Obviously, the kids may not have intellectualized about it. They're just being this great example of this concept right in front of our eyes. There's a great book that you and I both read that, that you mentioned at the break called, is it just happiness? It's by Matthew Picard. 
So there's not in that book. Great ones. There's Happiness by Matthew Ricard. And then there's, I think it's The Philosopher and the Monk, which is a discussion between him and his dad. And Matthew explains how it originally I was really thinking the only way to get happiness because of our Western idea is by somebody giving it to us. So I always thought, ah, forget happiness, right? Because life isn't about being happy all the time. Life is about sometimes you got tough times, sometimes you got good times. That's how I originally started thinking about it. But Matthew, with the Buddhist idea, happiness is a state of being. It's a form of being. And he actually, I recommend the book. He tells a story in the book where he's on a train and he falls asleep and he wakes up and somebody had stolen his computer. And he had just worked one month on writing a book and it was stuck on that computer and he had all this information on there. And he said, do you remember sitting back in the train just laughing about it? And I'm like, oh, wow. Like now I get what he means by happiness because it's something he's exuding from inside out because all the external information, I'll tell you, if I was on a train and somebody stole my, the work I'm working on a book for the last five, the last month, I, I wouldn't be able to laugh probably like him, right? But that's exuding happiness. That's bringing it from the inside out. That book sits beside my bed or I'd reach for it right now and show it to you. It's probably one of the most annotated dog-eared books that I own. And I, at, for a long time, I traveled with it until I was too afraid to lose it somewhere. <laughs> so I just keep it by my bed. I, that will be in the show notes, that book. Just one thing there. What I said before, you're already always being, that's what the kids were doing. They were already always being. What the alignment quotient wants to bring you to is making it intentional. And that's what your declaration is. Right. There's a great book that that we've written about. We don't write about books very often at the Goodness Exchange, but this one is by Luis Gonzalez. It's, and I'll put this in the show notes too. It's about the qualities that survivors have. He looks at many of the, some classic stories that we all know about. Five people go onto a mountain and an avalanche happens and two survive after 10 days or something, or people that are in sailboats and the sailboat goes down and they get adrift in a lifeboat, six people and only one's left fires and all kinds of things. And he questioned, because he has a great life story involving his dad in World War II, and he questioned, why did his dad survive this ordeal when others did not? So the whole book is about the qualities of survivors. And it comes back to just saying that in these moments, I've never put this together until you just were talking about it, but in these moments, people were being exactly who they were all along. And if they had these particular characteristics, if they were really good at making humor, turns out, I'll just give you a few of them. If you're good at laughing at yourself and making humor in difficult situations, that tends to be one of the top, the top ways that you're going to survive is that you can find humor in almost any moment and others that are really good. But bring us to this, this concept that you mentioned, because it's one of those, the Victor Frankl's book, man, this is search for meaning. He tells this great story about bread. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that was also one of the places where this concept of the untouchable part of you comes from. Viktor Frankl wrote a book. So maybe start with who he is. Viktor Frankl was in a concentration camp during World War II. And because of his education, he was a psychiatrist, but because he had a medical degree, they put him in charge of the hospital. And of course, concentration camps, people would come into the hospital that were very, very ill. Everybody in the camp would get a piece of bread per day. And so bread became life. If you had bread, you had life. If you didn't have bread, you were going to starve to death. And of course, one of the things you had to be very careful of is people would break into the hospital to steal the bread from people who are sick and dying. And that was something he always had to watch out for. 
But he said what shocked him was there was people who came into the hospital to share their bread with people who are sick and dying. Now remember, bread is life. And they knew they were in a bad situation. And he said that what he understood from that, and I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, so I'll paraphrase, was that people who came in that way were able to stay true to who they were, despite the situation and circumstances. And he said he believed they were probably the same type of person before. And that's what actually got him started into his um, his practice after the war was over. And when it came to, if you read his book, it's really a fantastic story. Because when the, just so I can, I'm going to, well, maybe I shouldn't tell, maybe I'll let your readers read it because it's such such a fantastic ending of how he survived. Maybe I'll leave it like that, make it so that's worth, uh, it is a wonderful book. Mad Search for Reading is a book that all of us should. Okay. It's quite, it's quite old. I mean, it was written, what, in the 1950s or 60s? It was written a long time ago, but it's still a very, very good book. That book is life-changing. It's one of those things that the insights in that book, once you see them, you can't unsee them. And I tell you, you might think that a book about the Holocaust is going to leave you dragging knuckles, but it's quite the opposite. It gives you a sense of possibility that you might never have imagined. So uh, that all these books that we're mentioning, again, are going to be in the show notes. As we kind of wind down here, and we can keep on going. I didn't actually get through nearly all the questions I had. I want you to talk to us for a few minutes about, I found a wonderful YouTube channel that you have where you help us shed some of these things that are holding us back. Some of these limiting beliefs, some limiting behaviors that are keeping us from being, from finding our best selves and way of being in the world. So Pick one. The YouTube channel is the LM Quotient. Yeah. The LM. Okay, great. We're gonna link people yeah. to that. Uh, talk to us about should statements. I just said you should read this book. Talk to us about should statements. Well, so I actually have an acronym called Stupid Brain. <laughs> it's an acronym, right? And it grabs cognitive distortions. Now, there's a codex of like 180 cognitive distortions you can have. Any of them can get in your way. But okay, cognizant, that's just interrupt. Cognizant, cognitive distortions. Distortions are things that make us think less clearly than we might. Well, there are ways that we think that are distorted reality. Okay. And they're documented. We okay. know that this is the way our brains work. Okay. And stupid brain is an acronym where I take 11 of the most common ones and I break them down so we can start looking for them in ourselves because 11 is still a lot. But the first one is S for should statements, like you brought up. And it's a really powerful one because we use it all the time. And a should statement is anytime you say like the world should be this way or the world, or the, this person shouldn't have done that or the, they ought to have done it like this or anything like that, that's a should statement. It's when you're, and I say you should all over other people in the world. You can even should all over yourself. And anytime you do that, it's a distortion. It's a reality you're making up, which is you're allowed to make up your own reality. But if it's out, if it's causing you to stay out of alignment with your declaration, then you can know that's what your brain's doing. You can catch yourself. You put it aside. You can move forward, get back in alignment. So it's so easy to do that with the people that you care about when you see their suffering. It's so easy to say, oh, you should read this or you should do this or so how can we still if our for instance <laughs> mine is agency my last of the three is helping people understand the whole landscape of things that they could do next to mm. to get to a new state how do i not use the word should oh so you, what you're going to find is that that's going to be really hard to not use it <laughs> what you can do 
is you can catch yourself. So, I mean, in my family, there's people doing all things that I should, I think they shouldn't be doing, right? I don't know why they don't hang the towel back up in the bathroom or they should do this or why she should lock the door at night and not forget, right? Or, oh golly, there's like a million of them. And then the question is, okay, <laughs> I get it. That bothers me. She, I'm sure she's saying he should unload the dishwasher before he goes to bed. He should have put the clothes away rather than leave them on the clothes hangers, like I'm hanging up to dry. And the question is, okay, <laughs> who I said I am is inspiration. Okay, what am I going to do now? And I'm supposed to help myself and others get past their barriers to live lives they love. Is anything I'm thinking of doing right now going to accomplish that? Yes or no? Right? Now, it gets it's very burdensome, especially at first. But once you start getting into it and you practice, it's like, you know, muscle memory. You get better and better and better. And that's the only thing you can do because you can't stop your brain from doing it. I guarantee you, your brain is shitting all over things all the time. Drive down the road. That shouldn't be this way. That shouldn't be that way. The weather shouldn't be this way today. It's supposed to be a special day. You're going to do it. Just be aware that's what you're doing. Right? Nothing wrong with it. That's the way your brain works. As long as you're human, you're going to be doing it. Just catch yourself. And don't let that drive you on alignment. Or if you're going to let it drive you out of alignment, just understand that's what you're doing. You can shut all over the guy who just cut you off in the traffic. You're human. You're free. Go ahead. Just be aware that's what you're doing. Came across this topic quite some time ago on the podcast. There's another great thought leader who talked to us about this. And I really worked on a sense. And I find that I say, I try and just be helpful. I say, oh gosh, yeah, I was plagued by that one too. And then I came across this book by Matthew Picard. It's a great one. And that's all I say. I mean, that's, is that all we can do in the world really, Chris, is share the things that we've found helpful and just lay it out there for folks. And if people pick it up, great. And if they don't, they're on their own journey. I've just gotten lots more <laughs> philosophical about the things I come across that are helpful. And then I just lay it out there and I know that that's all I can do. You know, sometimes advice is something that's helpful. Sometimes somebody just needs somebody to listen. Oh, that's so true. And they don't need any advice. They know exactly what to do. People aren't stupid. They just want to complain. They just want somebody to listen. So sometimes you don't even have to give them advice. You just go, wow, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah, it's precious. Right? And it depends as well because, you know, the more you get to know somebody, the easier it is to know if they just need to be listened to or they actually need advice. And, you know, you just meet somebody. Sometimes just listen. Yeah, sometimes I find the most powerful words I can say to others is, I hear you. I just, oh God, I hear you. I don't mean it in some weird way that people say, oh, what? who are you bringing? You know, all that spooky stuff that's in our zeitgeist. I mean, I do hear you. <laughs> yep. And sometimes that just validation is enough too. So we can't wrap up without having a real good understanding of what people can do next. <laughs> There's my agency part. I hope that we've given everybody hope and protected a a lot of dignity. And lastly, tell us how folks can connect with your work and move forward. Sure. Well, the book's available on Amazon, The Alignment Quotient. And there's a lot of science in there. And I've dug through that. There's also, there's processes inside there. There's work to do. So I I walk you through the process in the book. There's actually definitions in the back of different ways of being. And there's a process there. I also have a full online course where you'll get a chance to meet with me. And just ask, answer questions. I answer questions for you and you can ask whatever you want. 
That's a, like a 12-week course. So it's pretty long. There's workbooks and everything in there as well. Yeah. So those are the and two ways to do it. I tell you, if you want to get a taste of who Christopher is, like even past what I've been able to bring out here, that YouTube channel is fun. You've done some really wonderful editing in there, and he's got a great sense of humor through it all. And one more time, where can people get a taste of your work on the on YouTube? Yeah, so the Alignment Quotient website. And if you want, I can send some links to some of the... Yeah, we'll put those in the show notes too. He's got this great rap on should, and then just give us a smattering of some of the others. Oh, so I have one on a future first, the concept of future first, on integrity. I go through integrity in uh, some interesting ways and talk about just what is a being, like what does it mean to be? So yeah. Yes, it's good. Really good work in the world. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. As we've spoken about at the break and so forth, at the Goodness Exchange, we're trying to shine a light on people who are giving us fresh perspectives, exactly like Christopher, people who are changing the world in ways large and small. Join us over there so that you can find all the hope and wonder that we've been talking about for the last half hour. These connections to goodness and progress will help you walk with the spring in your step and you will find a way to a a life that feels like it's a life well lived. And thank you so much, Christopher and Kona, for being part of that journey with us all. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.